0: If you have your Bibles, if you want to turn with me to the 100th Psalm, Psalm 100, and let me just read through it. We'll go back and make a few comments. It tells us, make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves, for we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name, for the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations." As we come to Psalm 100, in some ways, perhaps a familiar psalm. In fact, even a psalm you'll take notice of again, where uh, an actual song has been taken and put together to music out of this psalm, Psalm 100. But it begins, notice, with sort of just not a declaration of God's sovereignty or how God is king. Many of the prior psalms seem to be reflecting upon how the Lord reigns and the reality of God's sovereignty. But as you come to Psalm 100... Uh, the writer here shifts, and he begins with really just an exhortation to give to God worship that he's worthy of. So as he begins in verse 1, he simply just declares, make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. And you notice the exclamation point there and the punctuation at the end of that. It's an exhortation given to us that we would do what really it seems that we're not naturally inclined to do. Again, God has given to all of us the capacity to be able to worship, but the reality is it is a conscious choice to choose to give worship to God. Uh, So we have the capacity to do such. God has created us. In fact, God has created us in such a way that we need to worship something. We were designed to worship. Uh, obviously the greatest ideal and ultimate fulfillment of that God-given thing that's been wired within us is that we would acknowledge God as our creator and that we would give our worship to God. And quite honestly, if we don't give it to God, we will give it to something else. Everyone worships something. Everybody has a master passion. Everybody has some degree of a God or an idol in our lives, and it can be a possession It could be some position that's really important to us in our status. It can be some pursuit in our life. It can be another person. Uh, It can even be us. Uh, Some people are into self-worship. They may not acknowledge that, but the reality is, is their master passion is to basically just do what they want (laughs) uh, and to do what pleases them and what fulfills them. And really, they are the center of their own universe. And so their life is driven and dictated uh, by what their desires are and what their preferences are. But the ultimate thing is that we would give our worship unto the Lord, but that's a conscious choice. And so the psalmist understanding that, that worship is a conscious act, it's a decision Again, there are other places we read in the word of God, whether it's in the Psalms or in the New Testament, where it talks about giving a sacrifice of praise or a sacrifice of thanksgiving. The idea there is the picture of how the worshiper would bring their animal to the altar and a sacrifice is something that costs you something. A sacrifice isn't free, right? A sacrifice, whether it was a sheep or whether it was a, you know, some financial donation, a sacrifice implies some degree of personal cost. So as you would bring your sacrifice to the temple, you would, in a sense, have to incur some degree of personal cost, whether it was the value of that animal that you were giving up of your flock or your herd, whether it was together, the value of your time, because instead of doing something else, working in your field for an extra hour or, you know, going out and doing some recreational pursuit, you took the value of something that mattered to you, and then you also took the value of your time and made a conscious decision instead to bring that sacrifice unto the Lord to make that something that you would give to him to bless him. And so here, the psalmist understanding this, he gives an exhortation, make a joyful shout to the Lord, he says, all you lands and in this psalm here he gives an invitation continually towards worship and to me it's very beautiful that you take notice it begins with sort of a exhortation to worship god with a degree of passion and enthusiasm that's why he says make a joyful shout to the lord all you lands i mean think about it we make joyful shouts for a lot of other things in this life, you go to a sports stadium right well, nowadays, of course, with the whole pandemic you don 't see big crowds of people uh, now they pump in crowd noise because the the, the athletes still need that uh, as incentive and encouragement, I guess to to perform. But the reality is, what do people do? I mean, when you have great sporting events, people make joyful shouts for their team, right Their team scores a touchdown or a basket or scores a goal, and people make a joyful shout. For something they're very passionate about, right? And they express great enthusiasm. And it's amazing. They're not embarrassed to raise their hands. But a lot of Christians won't raise their hands when they worship God, because oh, that's weird, man. But you go to sports stadiums, people aren't embarrassed to raise their hands. Yes, you know, and the, the cheer for their teams or whatever. But but the Bible's saying, look, if we would give that kind of passion and enthusiasm for a team that may lose the next game or ultimately lose the Super Bowl or we're gonna forget about a week from now or we're gonna make a joyful shout to you know, cheer for our children who we love when they scored the goal or whatever. He's saying, look, isn't God worthy of the same kind of enthusiasm? Isn't God worthy of that same kind of passion that we would dedicate to all these other things? So he says there, make a joyful shout Under the Lord, we're talking about the Lord. Again, we should worship God with enthusiasm and passion uh, from our souls. And notice it's an invitation to all people on the globe. He says, all you lands. This wasn't just for Israel. He's inviting the whole world. Anyone who's on the earth should be engaged in this because we've all been uh, given the blessing even of our very lives by our creator God as he's gonna talk about in the next verses. He then says, verse two, serve the Lord with gladness again the idea there is to serve the lord with a sense of gratitude and and the idea of serving the lord with gladness to me the indication there is with a degree of appreciation you know you don't serve the lord in drudgery oh i gotta serve the lord or i gotta do this for god or oh man i I wish i would have never signed up for doing that in the church, You're, you know, and sometimes people serve the Lord and they gripe or it's a drudgery, or they they feel like they're in a life sentence in children's ministry. Right? It's like I just I'm like, oh I should have never signed up for that. Now I'm in for the life sentence. And sometimes we serve the Lord, but we complain about serving the Lord when the reality is whether it's serving the Lord in some way that we do ministry, even to the place where the New Testament talks about, even if we give unto the Lord of our finances and resources, right? Paul says to the uh, Corinthians that we're not to give unto the Lord grudgingly or out of necessity, but God loves what? A cheerful giver. It's literally in the Greek, a hilarious giver that you're actually so... you know exhilarated and excited you're kind of just laughing this is this is awesome i get to give my money to god you know that's the idea is that it's the heart behind it that really matters to god does god want us to serve him yes should we all serve him yes it's a part of an expression of our worship serving the lord is another way of worshiping the lord it's one of many different ways to worship the lord but he says when you do it serve the lord with gladness again the idea is with a sense of appreciation for the privilege to get to serve God, with a sense of appreciation that God is giving me the opportunity to serve Him. Because the reality, as you know as well as I do, uh, God doesn't need me to accomplish His work, He doesn't need me to fulfill His purposes. Remember, Esther kind of came to that realization when her uncle Mordecai talked to her about stepping forward and and taking a real step of faith, remember, to kind of stand in the gap and intercede on behalf of the Jews. And he said, look, if you don't act, God will raise up someone else to bring about deliverance for Israel. In other words, he was impressing upon her, look, God's hands aren't tied. So, So don't think that if you don't step forward and embrace the opportunity that God's going to go, man, I really wanted to do something there, and now I can't because you're not willing. <laughs> you know. Or, or I really was going to save my people, but now I'm not going to be able to do it. And instead, God says through Mordecai to, to young, Esther, if you don't step into this, God will find another way to raise up deliverance. But how do you know whether or not you have come to the place where you are in your life right now for such a time is this in other words god is giving you the opportunity to be used by him god is offering you a chance to serve him and it's a privilege and that's how we should always look at serving the lord it's a privilege so we should appreciate the opportunity to serve the lord because the reality is he could very easily do things without us and he always can do things through someone else he doesn't need us so whenever we serve the lord we should serve him with gladness wow lord this is awesome, you're letting me do this. You're giving me the privilege, me the opportunity. That's the right heart that we want to serve God in an attitude of being worshipful with appreciation and gladness that he lets us do it. He also says there, verse two, come before his presence with singing. That's exactly what we just did, did we not? May not have been the best person leading in the song, but we did it. We came before his presence with singing. Because God's worthy of worship, right? He doesn't say come before his presence with singing only when you have a musician. Come before his presence with singing only if you can sing on key. The Bible just commands, give God worship. There are many ways to do it. And one of the ways God wants to be worshiped is through song. Is through song. Does it matter the style of the song? In the New Testament, it says, you know, that we should sing our Lord in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. In other words, you notice there's variety there. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So using the word of God to express you know, expressions of singing, using hymns that God's given to us over the centuries and spiritual songs, praise songs and courses. But the idea is that we come before his presence with singing as a way to express his glory and his worth and to express to him our love and appreciation of him. He then says, verse three, that we do it intelligently. Notice the mind is engaged. What's the first word? No, no, because if you know God, you wanna worship God. A lot of times the lack of desire to worship God is many times an indication of our not knowing God. Because I don't know about you, I came straight out of the world. I was not raised in church at all. I was a blank, blank slate when I became a born-again Christian. I mean, I, I never had been to one church service my entire life before I got born again the night I got born again. Not even a christ I mean, we didn't even go Christmas and Easter at all. Had never been to anything, never been invited to like somebody's you know, a confirmation service, nothing at all. I mean, I had decent moral parents, but I just did not have that exposure. But I can tell you this, that when I came to know the Lord, I wanted to sing to the Lord. I I needed an outlet. It's like, you know, it was like falling in love with my wife. I mean, when you see something like that, you got to pursue it, right? You got to make advances towards something. And the same way, when you get to know the Lord and you fall in love with the Lord, I don't know how you can get to know the Lord and not want to sing to the Lord. As you get to know the Lord and understand who he is, there's something within you that prompts you to want to do what pleases him, to honor him. And so again, our mind is engaged in all these things. That's why he says, know that the Lord, get to know the Lord, that he is God, he says. He is Elohim, the idea that he's the, 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 the supreme one. And then again, verse three, it is he who made us. So he's our creator and not we ourselves, We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So the Lord made us, he designed us. He's our creator. He's the one who gave to us our life. He's the one that keeps us alive. It's he who made us Psalm 139. He knit us together in our mother's womb and he made you exactly the way that you are because you are made the way that you're supposed to be. Don't ever question your whole life. Why am I like this? Why is my hair this color? Why are my eyes this color? Why is my frame like this? Why do I have, you know, these health issues or why do I have this? And sometimes we feel we look God made you perfect. The Bible says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. You are made exactly the way God wanted you to be made out of his love for you and his wisdom for you. And he made us to be who we are that he might work in our life in a personal way to accomplish his purposes in us between him and us in relationship. He says, he made us notice and not we ourselves. I like that the Bible says that. He made us, not we ourselves. Because what do people think a lot of times? We hear the term, people say, I'm a self-made man, right? (laughs) There are people who would not think about going to a church tonight to give thanks to God because in their mind, they're a self-made man. And God says, no, no, no. (laughs) I made you the way, nobody's a self-made person. God says, we haven't made ourselves, he made us. He made us exactly who we are and gave to us every blessing and gift. He gives us the very breath that we breathe, the air that we're enjoying, the food, again, that's on our table. I mean, God takes care of us. He's our owner. He says we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So, again, he's our creator. He's our owner, which means what? That we owe everything to him. We owe everything to God, our entire life to God. We're the sheep of his pasture. And again, if you haven't kind of remembered recently, she, you know, sheep aren't real smart. They need guidance. We need a lot of guidance and a lot of direction because we're sheep and the Lord shepherds us. And I don't know about you, I'm glad that the Lord shepherds us because a lot of times we're prone to wander. That's why I love that part of that Psalm, You know, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. And again, as sheep, we need a shepherd. And Psalm 23 speaks of how the Lord is a good shepherd and how he shepherds our lives. And Jesus refers to himself in that same manner that he's like our shepherd and we can hear his voice and that he guides and directs us. So again, these are all reasons that we should have to have gratitude towards the Lord, to want to worship the Lord when we realize we owe everything to him, our life. He guides us and protects us. He takes care of us and supplies for us and provides. Therefore, verse four, he goes back to the, again, the invitation, how we should respond, enter into his gates. Those were the entryways into either the tabernacle area or then ultimately the temple when the permanent structure was built. So enter into his gates, the invitation with thanksgiving and enter into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name notice I have that word in verse four circled enter enter into his gates and into his courts with what thanksgiving and praise that as we enter into again as they came into the gates of the temple, and then the courts. Remember, there were the different courtyards, the court of the Jews, the court of the Gentiles, the court of the men and the women, the courtyards were the areas outside where the people gathered together outside of the structure of the temple, but that's where worship transpired, in those locations. And so this is a picture of going to the house of the Lord. And notice, why do we enter and why do we go to the house of the Lord? To offer to God thanksgiving and praise and to be thankful to him and to bless his name. Now, there to me is a good reminder as one of God's children and one of his sheep that my purpose of going to God's house is really one thing above all else. My purpose of going to God's house is to give and to bring to God worship, to bring to God honor. To offer to God praise, as we've talked about, again, already mentioned a few times. To bring to God that sacrifice of praise. It's not, oh, I mean, I'll, yeah, I'll go to God's house because if I feel like I need to go to God's. Yeah, I feel like I need it, right? And sometimes that's kind of more of our mentality as people sometimes. Well, I'll go to church because I, I need it. And to some degree, I understand that because when we draw near to God, he draws near to us. And do we benefit secondarily? Absolutely because we experience the ministry of his spirit and he ministers to us and he speaks to us. But look, at the end of the day, the foremost reason why I should get up off my lazy boy and get in my car and drive to the church and be with God's people and enter into his house is to bring something that God is worthy to be brought, which is my praise, which is my thanksgiving, which is to not to go and say, I better get blessed when I go there. But look, he says here in verse four, bless his name. It's not, well, I, I better get blessed when I go. No, I go to bless God. God, I'm here to bless you. I showed up to bless you. We we came to worship you, to honor you. That's that's the chief motive that really the Bible sets before us is the reason that we should want to go to the house of the Lord. And look, here's the great thing. Even if you go to a worship gathering and you think, man, I don't know, just... What wasn't happen to me for tonight. I just wasn't, wasn't feeling the Holy Ghost goosebumps. The sermon was a bomb, whatever. Look, at the end of the day, if you brought God praise, you accomplished the right reason for going to God's house. That's the primary reason anyways. We're bringing praise to God. We're bringing, God, I am, I am coming. I'm going to show up. God, I'm here to bless you, to praise you, to thank you. And if we've done that, irregardless of anything else that we feel happened experientially, we've done the primary thing that really we're called to do. Again, to be thankful to him. You know, there are a lot of people tomorrow on Thanksgiving that are, they're gonna try to practice being thankful. They're gonna have gratitude. But, but we can be thankful for a lot of things, but the word of God says, be thankful to him. So you can be thankful I'm thankful that my family's healthy in a year like this, right? You know, I'm thankful I still got a job. There are a lot of people that will try to be thankful, but, but the word of God says that there's the object. If somebody says, I'm thankful that I'm still healthy, I'm, you know, I'm thankful that we haven't been affected by the, you know, the, the virus yet. Well, why do you think you haven't been? Because a God who is merciful has thus far been merciful and protected you, or protected your family from illness. Why do you still have your job? Well, because I show up every day. Well, yeah, to a degree. But the reason you still got a job is because God has been merciful and kind to allow you to have an opportunity to work still and to give you a form of employment. And again, so we want to realize the object of our thankfulness, there's a person behind that. As God's people, we should know that more than anyone else. There are a lot of people, like I said, that will be thankful. But it's very different actually being thankful to God being thankful to him and blessing him because of all the blessings right and the many benefits that we enjoy because we realize he's the source of all those things so again as he concludes verse 5 the idea you know enter into his gates with thanksgiving his courts with praise be thankful to him bless his name and then verse 5 he gives us three simple reasons why God's worthy to be thanked and why God's worthy to be be praised. The first thing he says, verse five, is for the Lord is good. The Lord's good. You know, life sometimes isn't that good. Is it fair to say 2020, everybody says, probably wasn't the best year. It's been a bad year in a lot of ways, has it not? It's been a tough year. It's been a difficult year in many different ways. You know, life hasn't been good for a lot of people. Life hasn't been good in, in, in many ways. And and sometimes our circumstances may not be good. You know, our season that we're going through may not seem good. It may be hard. It may be difficult. But look, here's the glorious thing. No matter how bad life is, or no matter how hard circumstances are, or no matter how bad people have treated the Lord is always good. The Lord remains good. There's always something good to be able to celebrate. And the Lord is good. He doesn't change. And he's good in the midst of bad things. Man, this is really bad. Well, it is. But, but thankfully, God's good in the midst of that. God's good to us in the midst of it. He gives us what we need in the midst of the bad times to be able to still celebrate him. So again, what do I have to be thankful about? Because the Lord's good. It's always something to be thankful about. He says as well, second thing, verse five, his mercy is everlasting. There's another reason, again, that God's mercy, which means that he doesn't give us what we do deserve, is everlasting. The idea is it's without limit. Have you a few times in the last year since last Thanksgiving tapped into God's mercy once or twice? God, man, would you have mercy on me, Lord? <laughs> just would you please have mercy on me whether it's some way that you failed or sinned over this last year you know in some grievous major way or just all of our own shortcomings from time to time and we've needed god's mercy and god through christ has been merciful to us and patient with us and the blood of jesus is given us the forgiveness that we need from time to time when we do what's wrong. God given us mercy as well. And even God's mercy just refers to how he gives us the restrained version of things. That's what mercy is. Again, it's, it, it's restraining. And again, even if it's not mercy for our failures, think in how many ways God has just been merciful because he's given us the restrained version from how bad it could have been. And he kind of tempers what we experience with his mercy. the idea is he kind of, he kind of holds off the full brunt of letting the full difficulty come down our path, and God is merciful to us in many ways in that aspect as well and then the third thing he says also we should be thankful for is because his truth endures forever again that, that, that God remains the same, his truth, the truth of his word the, the truth of who he is. It doesn't change. Life changes. People change. People say something. Then they, they say something different, and they're unreliable, and they're, they contradict what they say. And wait a minute. I thought the rule was this way. Well, it was, but now this week it's this way, right? We, we all know that. <laughs> this is the rule. No, 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 no. Now, now the rule's this way. Now, with God, it's not like that. With God, there's a constant. His truth endures, It remains the same. It's constant and reliable. You know, here's what's interesting. Some translations render that word faithfulness endures to all generations. The Hebrew term that's actually used there for truth is actually a term that speaks of steadiness or stability. In other words, it's implying God's reliability. That's what the term's really referring to there. That God's reliability, God's trustworthiness endures to all generations. And I don't know about you, but one of the most attractive things to me ever since I've known the Lord has been the reality of God's reliability. If there is anything above many, many things that I love the Lord for, it's his reliability, his faithfulness, his trustworthiness, that he is steady and stable because I'm always not. And I'm sure, just like you, there have been numerous times throughout my life, and it continues to unfold, where I, I depend on somebody, and they don't come through. And somebody's supposed to be stable, and they prove themselves unreliable, right? I mean, who has not experienced that in major ways in your life where somebody let you down, they weren't faithful, they were unreliable, they weren't stable. But, you know, here's the wonderful thing. God is always stable. He is a rock. He's solid. He's always reliable. And even though men may fail us and people may fail us, you know, in fact, one of my, you know, favorite memory verses, you know, says, the help of man is useless. I think that's cool that God put that right in the Word of God. Just kind of frees us, right? I hope people help. God says, the help of man, useless. <laughs> it's useless. But the help of God, absolutely certain. God will always be reliable. God will always be trustworthy. God will always be steady and stable. And man, what a wonderful thing to be able to have that assurance, right? As you live in an unstable world and you you never know what tomorrow's bringing to be able to rest upon the fact that, man, I can always rely on God. God will come through. God's gonna take care of things for you. And that just gives such a peace of mind in the midst of the world that we live in so often in our lives. So again, this is why we should, as he says here, enter into his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise, to be thankful to him, to bless his name, for the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth, his steadiness, his reliability and stability, it endures not to the past generation, but to our generation just as much."